0: skip my Spanish class to see George Decay. Nice. Because you know what? Spanish 2 could wait. I knew I wasn't going to pass that class anyway so I just 100% skipped the class. I think I dropped the class the next day because the teacher specifically told us, do not skip this class to go see George Decay, and I was like, uh, fuck you. I was going to say, oh it's a pretty tall order to teach. Don't think it's going to happen. So, uh. But that in all fairness, I technically then wasted $300 to go see George Decay. Okay. hey man now that i'm thinking about it hey man George takei will not be around forever but you can always retake spanish too oh god no dude like did I ever tell you what why i was not doing well in that class no because i took spanish one like i think three years at that point like three years prior hmm. so i went on, i did not retain anything because I was like oh spanish too it'll be just like uh you know i remember all the stuff from high school spanish that was not what they were going over right they were going over stuff that you you probably would have learned in like Spanish three or four in high school. Like you needed to have all of that information to do Spanish two at Georgia State. And I was like, oh shit, there's no way I'm catching up now. All right. I see what you mean. I think I actually, I don't think I took Spanish two. I think I only took Spanish one. I don't know. Spanish one was all right. Ladies and gentlemen, live from coast to coast, we proudly present for your information with Zach and John. So, is the Monster Mash a dance song, or are they talking about an event? I- what? Okay, so they say they do the Monster Mash. It was a graveyard smash. Is it a dance? Or are they talking about some sort of weird graveyard monster origin? Okay, look no further than the Harlem Shake, because the Harlem Shake is both an event and a dance. Okay, I agree. It's a- it's a historical event. The Harlem Shake is like a, um, is a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if the Monster Mash is necessarily a cultural phenomenon. I'm talking about specifically within the context of the song. Mm-hmm. Is it a dance? Or are they doing the monster match as in a dance routine called the monster match? Or is it some sort of weird... Event where all these monsters are in a graveyard smashing each other. Which could either mean they're fucking each other or they're literally hitting each other. And I don't know which one I want to see more. Okay, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. So I'm going to start with alternatives, right? Smash (laughs) could mean a few things. Maybe Smash Mouth is playing live in the graveyard. Maybe they're all partaking in a cocktail called the Graveyard Smash because the smash is a type of cocktail. But you don't know that because you don't pay attention to what I say. I do pay attention to what you say. However, it, wouldn't it be, the monster match would be the drink and it would be a graveyard smash? As no. in it was a smashing success at the graveyard? It could be all of the above, but smash is a type of cocktail. It usually has to do with like berries and fruit that are inside of the cocktail. I, I, I don't know. I'm not super so, well versed on the smash cocktail variety. So is a sangria smash? Um, I think that's in the same family as a smash. Or maybe smash is more of a casual colloquial type term and it's not like a real real thing. Okay. Do you know where it hails from, or probably like america probably like some bar in new york which is where like half of these things come from i i, I don't know man i i have no idea um welcome to the podcast everybody this is for your information i am john and i am zach and this week we are going to do the creature from the black lagoon this is the pinnacle of our meet the monster series that we've been doing for the month of october leading up to this big time this spooky spooky halloween and i, I gotta say zach i went into a Spirit Halloween the other day. You went into a Spirit Halloween, my favorite seasonal store. Yes. And, wait, more than the Scholastic Book Fair? Oh no, don't mention the Scholastic Book Fair. I'm so upset that either A, it doesn't exist anymore, or B, they won't let me into the elementary school to go. Can confirm it does exist, can also confirm you would not be allowed to enter casually into an elementary school to go to the book fair. I need a kid, man. That's one way of getting in, yes. uh, You could volunteer at the library. You, You could do a number of things outside of have a child to go to the book fair yourself but like i don't want to volunteer because if you volunteer you can't buy shit why not you could just be like oh yeah i'm buying this for my nephew's birthday you don't have a nephew he doesn't have a birthday he doesn't exist (laughs) that's like um oh i went to go buy uh sorry we were going dangerously off the rails here but uh when i went to go buy pokemon moon at midnight in a walmart in decatur georgia uh the nice gentleman uh the night manager went to go get the game for I and mean, he was like oh are you getting this for uh like your kid and i went for my uh nephew even though it was 100 for me yeah <laughs> and he was like oh how old is the little fucker and i'm like 10 yeah. how old is your sister Twenty. oh, oh. <laughs> i don't i don't remember how old i said she was it was it, it It made sense, though. It made sense. I I think I might have said she was 26, even though my sister is younger than I am, and I'm 25. So, we are off-base from being off-base, because I started this by saying I went to a Spirit Halloween, and somehow we ended up on the Pokemon Moon debut. It wasn't even the debut. It was like three days later. I had to wait to make enough cash. Oh my god, adult life sucks. But you got the game, and now you're, uh, staving off adulthood for one more, uh, cycle? Is that what they call the Pokemon series installments? Um, I think it's a cycle. It's technically uh generations well uh, this shit doesn't matter why are we talking about this okay i went into a spirit halloween and there were some regular stuff you know how like they have like a like a yearly thing that's like a feature in spirit halloween yeah like the little haunted house or whatever where it's just like a couple different gag lined up in a row yeah it was that it was the exact same thing except this year i really feel like they missed the mark they did like a like a jaws thing it was like a oh lo- like a weird biological deep sea thing Like, I I don't know. Didn't make a lot of sense. Was not scary. I don't know how you got a bunch of aquatic Halloween costumes because there really weren't that many. So I don't feel like they sold it very well. But I will tell you something that I found that leads me to believe that there is still hope for a proper Halloween. What's that? A skeleton costume. Like a a classic black bodysuit, x-ray type bones with the weird grin from the skull. That you wear over your whole body, right? Right. Except there's an extra bone, and that bone is attached to a pump, and you pump the pump, and up comes the bone. You get what I'm saying? Oh, okay. So it's it's the the dick bone. It's the skeleton with an inflatable boner. Holy shit. Yep. All right. All right. That's it. I mean, that's human evolution at its peak. We have come come full circle. Yeah. You know, like, I wasn't as impressed with Spirit this year, except for they had a. Killer wreath from the Nightmare Before Christmas. They have like a little uh killer wreath that you can buy, and I 100 bought that, and it is going on my door as of November first. Hmm. Why after Halloween? Because much like anything that has to do with the Nightmare Before Christmas, you have to like separate it into what is Christmas and what is Halloween. The wreath is 100 Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a little spook, which I'm fine with mixing Christmas and spook. I've always had that, but you can't mix spooky with Chris. You get what I'm saying? So like. like. Like, you can't have Christmas shit on Halloween, but you can have Halloween stuff on Christmas. All right, I'm gonna take your word on that one. Um, you don't agree? Like, okay, listen, I I wouldn't want to watch, like, uh, Black Christmas or Silent Night, Deadly Night on Halloween, because it's not Christmas yet. However, I'll watch those on Christmas, even though they're technically horror films. And horror films are not what you would typically associate with Christmas. Well, I I guess it depends on your definition of Christmas in the background you have, because for some people, it's a very horrific holiday. That's true. I mean, a lot of tragedy happens around Christmas, so I can see how that it affects people different ways. But uh here, I'll I'll explain this to you in a way that you will understand what I'm saying. Okay, so Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Sure. Chocolate over peanut butter. Yeah. Now, that tastes good. So that would be my spooky stuff on Christmas. Now, imagine a Reese's Cup in reverse. All, like, mushy, gooey peanut butter on the outside and then chocolate on the inside. That's fucking Christmas shit on Halloween. Okay, problem with this analogy. Why aren't you freezing your Reese's Cup? Why am I not? Yeah, do you not freeze your Reese's Cups? I mean, when it is available, do so. However, if they don't have the little things in the grocery, or in, like, the bodega or in the gas station where it's already in the fridge, then I have no choice. Like, I'm not gonna save this Reese's Cup for later. I'm eating it now. All right, we have not even touched this movie yet. (laughs) Um, that's fine. Is it? It it, it is. I I think it is. I I like the direction they're going. All right. Well, since, since you just want to talk about the movie. Yep. That's why we're here. Okay. Well, we'll get into that right after you give me a new cocktail recipe. All right. Okay. So this cocktail is a bit of a doozy. I hope that you're ready to do a little bit of work for a cocktail that's pretty good. And hear me out. Okay. So this cocktail is called the Murky Death. And it is based, of course, on the creature from the Black Lagoon. In the movie for this week. Um, there's three different distinct stages to making this cocktail. So you're gonna have to have a little patience, but it's totally worth it. It's basically like a mix between a dark and stormy and a Ramos Gin Fizz. If you're familiar with either of those cocktails, if you're not, the dark and stormy is like a rum and ginger beer, and the Ramos Gin Fizz is like uh it's like a gin cocktail that has egg white in it, but good. Like, like don't don't get put off by the egg white. It's a really, really good cocktail ingredient for using specific cocktails. So here's the breakdown, here's how you make it at home. So you're gonna want to start with a highball glass. So kind of that tall cylindrical glass, something you would see like a Tom Collins in. There are some minor differences between the glasses, but just like what you got. You know, it's mostly a presentation thing and if you're not a professional bar, then it's going to taste about the same. Just had to get off on a little rant there for a second. By all means. Okay, so you're going to take that glass and you're going to pour one and a half ounces of dark rum into the bottom of the glass and stack ice on top of it. Don't disturb the rum as much as you're able to. That's important uh, for presentation. Again, not in a professional bar, which most of you are not. Professional bar is a funny term. All right, I'm not going to use that term anymore because that's different so uh you're going to take this glass with the rum in it and you're going to put it in the fridge or freezer rather and chill the glass always chill the glass why would you not then you're going to grab your cocktail shakers this is where things get interesting you're going to take one ounce of lemon juice a half ounce of light rum and an egg white one egg white and you're going to put those together in the cocktail shaker and we'll save the shaking for later that's the last step but you want to combine the ingredients then you're going to take your cocktail glass out of the freezer Right. And you're going to combine a half ounce of lime juice and three-ish ounces of ginger beer. You want to leave maybe two or so inches at the top of the glass so that you'll have room to put the stuff in the cocktail shaker. So now you've got rum, lime juice, ginger beer with a little bit left on top of the glass. Then you're going to pick your cocktail shaker up again. What you're going to do next is called a dry shake. So you're going to shake the ingredients without any ice. So you're going to shake it long, shake it hard. It's going to be at least a minute of shaking. So be patient. Then you're going to strain the contents of the shaker into the cocktail glass to form the top. Now's where the garnish comes in a ton of mint leaf into the top, on the stalk. So put some mint in the top. It's nice and big, bushy on top, just like the Jungle, just like from the Creature of the Black Lagoon. And it's going to be layered down. It's going to be a really light white foam on top, going through the green and down to the dark rum on the bottom. That is it. That is the Murky Depths cocktail. Impressed. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, honestly. Working with egg white is always fun, you know? It's like a really, really thick, frothy head that you can put on a drink, and it's not that hard. Eggs are a really common ingredient, so any kitchen you're in is gonna have egg, you know? Uh, People get really freaked out by, like, raw egg, but it really does not pose any kind of risk outside of, like, the strictly, I have to say, eating undercooked egg, seafood, and beef may cause food poisoning, but, like, it's fine. Like, most bars are able to do this. Huh, so, like, do they crack an egg and then take the yolk out and then, or, like, poach the yolk? out and then put the egg whites in or do they have like a little like you know where you can get the little carton of egg whites do they just use that uh you could probably use either one i'm always for fresh ingredients so I mean if you just take an egg crack it and then kind of bounce it back and forth to keep the yolk in the shell that's what most bartenders are gonna do for a drink like this um and as long as you only need one egg white that's really convenient if for whatever reason you needed more than one egg white i'm not familiar with a cocktail that requires more than one egg white you could probably get away with using the like pre-separated egg whites and i mean it's not gonna make it that big of a difference I don't think but uh the most important thing is that it's going to carry that kind of meringue flavor from the lemon which is usually the purpose of using egg white in a cocktail like that like yes it's good for presentation but mostly it gives you kind of a creamy lemon flavor when you combine it with lemon and that's where you most commonly see this as far as I know like in my experience Mm, interesting yeah so there you go a little bit of work but impress your friends make a fun cocktail it tastes pretty good or at least I thought so don't tell them about the egg white until it's done oh yeah that's honestly a fun way to mess with your friends a little bit unless one of your friends has some sort sort of weird egg allergy. And if that's the case, don't have that friend. Can't go to brunch with them. Good point. Anyway, so John, let's get a little bit into the background of The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Of course. So this movie was released in February 1954, the 12th. So this is almost a complete 23 years after the release of Dracula. It's so amazing how you can just see the difference in filmmaking just from those 23 years that like these movies span. That's true. That's true. There's so many differences between Not just the cinematography, but, like, the presentation and the subject matter and the writing and, like, there is a lot different. But it does retain that same kind of charm. Right. It has that classic Hollywood charm. It has that, you know, prototypical monster movie feel. And this is the movie that people, most people point to as, like, a prototypical monster movie. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it just, it hits all the elements. It's, you know, an empathetic monster. You know, a man, a woman, woman gets captured by monster. Monster doesn't understand monster gets hurt runs away it is unclear if monster is dead yeah that's that's the prototypical monster that's you right up for a sequel and you know what there are a couple we'll get to those later um this is a universal pictures production so just like the other ones we've been talking about you got your dracula your frankenstein uh, your wolf man even the invisible man these are all universal pictures originally you know that's where they became famous as movies and then there's this one creature from the black lagoon this is another one of those universal pictures that doesn't necessarily have a Solid literary base for the content. No, it's based on the uh, the writer of this film. He was talking to someone who was telling him about like in the Amazonian village he grew up in. They told stories of a half man, half fish, which is uh, different than a mermaid. This is like a like a man's body with a uh, fish skin mm. instead of being like a like a woman's top part body with a fish's bottom part body. Which mm. why like I, I I never understood the mermaid. Fashion fascination i think that the thing is you get a bunch of sailors on a boat right and you know like in the popeye cartoons where like things start looking like like ham when you're stranded at sea and don't have any food right It's like that, but for titties. Oh, okay. Yeah, they look into the ocean and they see like a a tuna or a manatee or some weird aquatic creature and they're like, are those those titties on that thing? And you know, that's where it goes. And then everybody goes like tit madness. And then you have like a mutiny because no one wants to go retrieve the titty creature from ocean. Uh, The the titty creature. I've never heard something so sexist in my entire life. (laughs) All right. Now you took it there. I was simply stating what I assume is a fact based on my... own hubris okay uh this movie was directed by jack arnold who was also famous for the movie tarantula which came out after this the also 3d film house of wax that came out before this and then also completely out of left field directed most episodes of the brady bunch Fun fact for all you Brady Bunch fans out there. Oh, my nose! Uh, what? Anyway, that's it's a line from the show. Yeah, did well, your I've dad, never seen the Brady Bunch. Did your, dad, did, did your dad never make you watch TV Land? No. Dude, you gotta watch some Brady Bunch. You gotta understand what the, what the times were about in the 70s. Was this where people, like, slept in different beds and shit? Uh, you know what? No, actually, I think uh, Mr. and Mrs. Brady slept in the same bed. It was the 1970s. And So it's this, like, edgy for the time where they're like, we're gonna be progressive. We're going to a allow heterosexual married couples to sleep in the same bed now um I don't even think it was just progressive I just think everyone realized like that's really stupid and unrealistic me and my husband would never sleep in separate bed I'm glad that someone finally figured it out like 30 years after the fact right because it's just well I mean the Brady Bunch would have been 40 years post Hayes code but it 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 is a little silly because it's like do, do we all really think that's what's happening here no I guess not and considering the like lower availability of media like this. I don't understand why they thought that this would be like a like a pervasive thing. Like someone saw a married couple sleeping together in a bed in a movie, and they're like, ah, now I must sex. This is the thing that makes me sex. I must sex. Sex for me. It, and it's it, it's not even premarital. So, like, if it was premarital sex, I could almost understand the haze code given that it was a more conservative time. However, it wasn't. It's a married couple, you know, like Lucy and Desi in not sleeping in. In the same bed. What the fuck? Why? Yeah, I don't know, man. We're, again, a little off-base. The film was produced by William Allen, and this is where things get interesting. Music had three main writers, the first of which being Henry Mancini of Pink Panther fame. And so he's the guy that... wrote. He wrote that? Yeah, and I'm really, really glad that you brought that into the podcast because he wrote the song with a cat. He just started squeezing it, and it sounded just like that, Zach. Oh, he just started squeezing the cat? Just meow, 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 meow. Oh, okay. Well, the second time wasn't as good. The distressed meow from the first one was a little bit better. Moving on, Hans Salter was a fresh off the Wolfman. Fresh off. It's a couple, like, I don't know, a decade after the fact. So maybe not <laughs> It is fresh a up. decade. God, that's so hard. this doesn't feel that different from the Wolfman, although it does feel really different from Frankenstein and Dracula. We'll hit on that later. And then Herman Stein, famous for The Intruder, which came after the fact 1962. Right. Uh, The budget for this movie was low at the time, but it grossed over $1.3 dollars which would have been about 12.3 million in 2019 which still would not have been a lot of money for a movie to make in 2019 but I think the movie infrastructure and like the model by which movies are made now is so different that that's kind of hard to say because I feel like this film would more so be like an independent film or a film for a new director by a major studio by today's standard whereas back then it was like we're gonna do a monster movie and Universal threw a little bit of money on it and they made it work right and like I said that's what a lot of it ends up happening a lot of the time now like a lot of these horror movies that you see don't start out as horror movies like their script is not a horror movie but horror movies are so easy to get produced like because people just want them because they know that you can you know put about fifty thousand dollars into an indie horror movie and you're probably gonna get it back yeah it's funny how that works i mean you look at like action movies again like avengers avengers endgame like all that stuff like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to make the move just because they lean so much harder into the appeal being like visual effects and i I guess, writing, but you have to buy the rights to characters at that point, and that just bloats the budget so high that it really needs to live up in order to make the money back. Correct. Like, they can't just, you know, wing it and, you know, get a real raccoon to play Rocket Raccoon because it might be cheaper. Like, they can't do that. Do you think the raccoon from Elf is still around to play that part? Um, probably not. Elf came out in, like, what, two thousand three, four. Yeah, so we're asking a raccoon to live, like, 16 years. Yeah, what's the life expectancy on a raccoon? uh listeners someone let me know i'm not gonna remember to look that up yeah me neither that's not an important part of the creature from the black league <laughs> it absolutely isn't we are way off the rail week um so this movie had two sequels uh revenge of the creature and the creature walks among us yes and also it technically has a uh tv tie-in with the colgate comedy hour featuring abbott and costello Ah, yes, Abbott and Costello. I I wish I knew more about Abbott and Costello now, because in researching this movie, I finally watched some of the stuff. Like, I watched The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Abbott and Costello, or, you know, whatever the title is. I guess it's the other way around. Whatever. And it's pretty funny. Like, even by today's standards, it's like good slapstick comedy. And I appreciated that a lot. I mean, they're kind of like the masters. They're like the, kind of the prototypical slapstick comedy that we saw on television. Correct. And they're also the, uh, who's on first? Who? Who's on first? That, those guys. That's that. If, Mm. uh, if you don't know who they are. Uh, it was also made for TV. I I believe it's only like, what, 30 minutes long? Yeah, it is a made for TV special. Right. And they had Abbott and Costello meet, uh, Frankenstein, the Wolfman. Uh, I don't believe they did Dracula. I don't know. Yeah, wait, they did. They did do Dracula. So they did all of them in Creature of the Black Lagoon was kind of like a, like an add-on. See, I would be interested to know how much that plays into the legacy of Creature from the Black Lagoon. Like, do we remember it that way today because of these TV specials with Abbott and Costello? Because they were a really big deal back then. They were like Key and Peel from 2014. Correct. Like, the, the Abbott and Costello were a big, big, big deal back then. They actually just came out with a biopic about them with uh, John C. Riley. Uh, I heard it's pretty good. I want to check it out. Yeah? Yeah. I'm gonna have uh, to get my Abbott and Costello on. I, I really want to get into that now. Yeah, dude, I mean, if you like, I love watching from like the early 50s. 50s, like the first real like you know, couple years of TV. It's just so interesting what they did back. Then. Very different by today's standards. And yeah, stuff like this manages to remain funny. It manages to remain like relevant in a sense. And I appreciate that about things like that. it's the timelessness of it. It's like um it, it it you know that it's old and it's not how we do it today, but it's just so genuine and you could tell that the people working on it just really enjoyed doing it and that they enjoyed experimenting and finding out like what works on television. And that's just what's so much fun. It's the same thing, like, watching the... Uh, I remember for MTV's, like, 25th anniversary or whatever, they played the first 24 hours of MTV again, and it was just... It was so interesting to watch. Huh. Yeah, like, it's just seeing, like, people experiment, like, seeing what works. Like, I find that so much more interesting than, like, you know, just, like, here's, uh you know, this very special episode of uh, I Love Lucy or Andy Griffith. It's like, I don't care about that. So do you think that in the future, when, like, surveillance becomes interesting? Integrated into entertainment that they're gonna do the same stuff where they're gonna take like old video recordings from like 2016, 2017, like allegedly closed circuit television, and just put it out there and be like, Man, back in the day they did things so differently. They just threw stuff to the wall and see if it stuck just by recording any old buddy. Right. Like, so are you talking about um like my FBI agent filming me having a one-sided conversation with myself, recording this podcast? Or are you talking more about like Vine and TikTok shit like that? Or like those people that go on Facebook live, but like there's only like one person watching it passively. Yes, all of the above. Because in the future, maybe we won't have as much context. We're gonna get lost in the data. Think about how much content we're gonna produce in the next 10 years of just random bullshit. Right. Like, and I think the real question you're gonna have there is, where is all that shit being stored? If you're like storing it all in like a like a cloud database, then sure, that stuff might be able to be viewed for generations. But then there's things like Snapchats that are deleted immediate, or supposedly they're supposed to be but don't know. Um, See, the but, real like, question, Zach, I think, is intellectual property because we work really hard on these podcast episodes, and if right. they're holding. List up hostage in some database somewhere someone needs to answer up for the fact that they have unauthorized copies of this podcast well i mean no because would you be offended if one of our listeners like say downloads the episode from spotify or apple Podcasts, listen to it while they're at work so that they don't have to run up their lte bill no because they got that from an approved source but our fbi agents are listening right now and they are keeping this on the record for free i mean those guys are our biggest fans then they listen to every episode yeah but they're not contributing ad revenue we don't have ad revenue right now though so uh th- this is a battle for the future courts to decide we haven't even touched on the movie yet we have not even touched on the movie yet okay so i'm gonna run quickly through some history on this film for you fuckos Yay, story time. Uh, yay, story time. Yay. Okay, so this episode, I'm going to focus specifically on the 3D aspect of this film. This movie was released in 3D. Yes, 3D has been around and plaguing movie theaters for even as far back as the 1950s. What do you mean uh, plaguing? Plaguing? I fucking hate the 3D thing, dude. Why do I have to pay more money just so that I, like the screen comes to me like because yeah. it, it, like I've seen so many movies where there's not even like a cool 3D effect and even at that point it's like I'm not a fucking universal I'm not a fucking Disney World I don't want this shit I just want to watch a movie I don't ever go to the 3D movie I always go to the 2D movie because if I'm gonna watch a movie I just want to watch the goddamn movie now do you feel the same way about IMAX no IMAX is different IMAX is like if a movie is filmed in IMAX it's specifically released for IMAX like uh like the Dark Knight Rises was filmed with an IMAX camera. So to get the full scope of some of the shots in the movie had to see in an IMAX, or like uh, The Force Awakens. I think The Force Awakens was the last thing I saw in an IMAX movie. Why? Um, The Force Awakens was good, dude. (laughs) I'm not sitting here trying to defend the whole uh, sequel trilogy, but do you remember just how excited you were after The Force Awakens? Like, before The Last Jedi just ruined it, and before Rogue One ruined it, and before Solo ruined it? I'm offended by the fact that you put Rogue One in there with the movies that are ruining the series, because Rogue One is the only thing keeping the series alive now. You know what? I was a Rogue One hater at first, and then I came back around to Rogue One. We are so far off base. You don't like 3 <laughs> I, I don't like 3D, but I can tell you some shit about it. Give okay. me the facts. Okay, so this movie was released mainly in cities in 3D. The rest of the country got the plain old 2D version, and this was just because the projectors required to run the 3D film just weren't as readily available, but most movie theaters in larger cities have. Hmm. Now, the kind of 3D that they use was the polarized light method. This is uh, the standard gray glasses like you get at the movie theaters now. Or well, that you got at the movie theaters back in like 2010 to 2015. Uh, The new movie theaters, as well as if you have a 3D TV, actually use a different kind of 3D where it alters the images for you. Like it has a little machine inside the lenses that shuts on and off, on and off, on and off. And that's what creates the 3D effect. And that's why you're not allowed to take them home with you because they're fucking expensive. Interesting. Okay, so what about anaglyph? like the ones where you used to get them where it's in red and cyan and then it kind of crosses the beams a little bit in your brain and it's supposed to be 3D. Do you mean, Bill? This is yeah. <laughs> This is like the, um, this is like the, um, the the bane of the 3D movie lovers existence because it's not true 3D. This is like a, like your a, like a, you're a spy kids 3D kind of 3D. Oh yeah. This, that uses like, um, that's the layered images. So like if you take the glasses off, you're, you can't really tell what's, going on it looks like you should have regular prescription glasses on Mm -hmm. but It's just, um, that that just truly blends the two pictures for you together. And it creates, like, that stereotypical, like, cheesy 3D effect, but it's not a true 3D effect. Hmm. Then again, none of what I'm talking about is a true 3D effect. The only true 3D effect is, in fact, a hologram. Interesting. When are we going to see some hologram movies, Zach? Um, hologram movies? I don't know. But I do know that in Europe, they're about to uh, launch a Whitney Houston uh, memorial tour, where it will be a holographic Whitney Houston. Interesting. Yes, I also thought it was interesting that Whitney Houston would be the first one they would do. You'd think it'd be like Elvis or you know John Lennon or someone like that. But I mean, Whitney Houston's pretty good too. I mean, they've already experimented with Michael Jackson in this technology, right? Right. Um. But anyway, this um this movie was also put onto 3D in the anaglyph uh, 3D, which is the red and blue um on the 1980 home video release on Beta and VHS. Ah, good old Betamax. Ah, good old Betamax. The, um, for those of you that don't know, it would be like the the HD Blu-ray, or the, the HD DVD versus Blu-ray uh, debacle. Uh, why? Why was that a thing? Well, okay, it, I mean, it was the same thing. Like, Betamax was a, um, it had a shorter tape, but it had better quality, whereas VHS was longer, and you could record over it, so VHS won out in the end. So they just sold a bunch of, like, analog dvd and called it good? No, oh, no, 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 you're talking about, I was talking about the and back for VHS. Yeah, and I'm saying a VHS is basically just an analog DVD-RW, am I right? Correct, but I mean, that that did not exist at the time. That's why it was revolutionary. You could always do that with um, sets, because True. cassettes were rewritable. You know, so you could get your friends Hootie and the Blowfish cassette, and you could, uh, you know, tape yourself farting into it, and then give it back to him, and then he'd be like, Oh, fuck, you ruined my cassette! <laughs> why does that sound like something you've tried? Um, I could neither conform <laughs> or deny I'm sorry. Sorry, Justin. Uh, I'm sh- I'm sure you've forgiven me by now. If you remember who I am at all, I cannot believe this. We need to move on. Okay. Um, a few more things about this movie that I found personally interesting. It was planned to be remade in 3D again in 1982 uh, by Universal, but was scrapped to not clash with the other 3D movie they were coming out with at the time, Jaws 3D. I... Which I would have scrapped Jaws 3D. Well, I, I would have scrapped Jaws too. I get the. Tr- draw like I understand why they would do it but like uh, that doesn't make it right. It, it absolutely does not. But here we are. We got Jaws 3D instead of a remake of the creature from the Black Lagoon. All right, let's talk cast. We got to get into the meat of it. So uh, we have Dr. David Reed, who's played by Richard Carlson, uh, who actually also played in It Came From Outer Space, 1953. Um, Dr. Mark Williams, played by Richard Denning. He's actually a pretty big actor. I didn't realize this going in, but he's got one of those faces. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, he's got the prototypical, like, 90s. 1950s guy face, and he's also got the this voice. Yes, I'm from the 1950s. Yes, honestly, I I, I missed that. I'm gonna start doing that again. I'm basically just gonna do the synopsis voice 24 seven. Synop- John Synopsis voice 2020. I think I'm just gonna go as an artist and call myself Frank Synopsis. Frank Synopsis. We have to move on. <laughs> okay. I Doctor- have no time to entertain this. Doctor Carl Maya, played by Antonio Moreno, and Kay Lawrence, played by the lovely Julie Adams, uh, also. Famous from the Andy Griffith Show again with the TV crossovers. That seems to be more common here, and I guess it's the proximity to like the heyday of early television. Yeah, like most movie stars would make guest appearances on television, much like they now. That's I mean, you, you see, you see movie stars in TV shows all the time. But you know, it, it was a bit more common back then, and like you know, TV stars would become movie stars, and vice versa. They all end up addicted to heroin at some point. Right, kind of like Rosie O'Donnell and Family Guy. Right. I'm gonna pretend like I don't know that. About. All right, now. The most important cast member, I think, is the creature, also called the Gill Man, actually played by two different guys. Fun fact. So, On Land, played by Ben Chapman. And they picked him because he's really tall. He's like 6'5". So he's not quite, like, tiny from House of a Thousand Corpses is tall, but pretty tall. And, in the water, he's played by Rico Browning, who is also famous for acting and directing Flipper, another TV tie-in. Which is very interesting. Another thing I found interesting is that these two guys uh, played these characters, but did not actually meet each other on set ever they met for the first time 20 years later at a comic-con a comic-con yes now that's interesting i mean i know that they recorded the different parts of the movie in different places and that's one of the things about this movie that makes it like different from the other universal monster movies was that this one was spread out geographically quite a lot correct um i believe riku browning uh filmed his parts in florida and ben chapman uh recorded his segments in california and you know Rico browning still lives in florida he's actually still alive believe it or not, at 88 years old at the time of this recording. God bless you. Just living that Jimmy Buffett life down there, and we're gonna get way into that. Here we go. Alright. Now, the critical reception is uh, surprising, honestly. Uh, it retains a 7 out of 10 on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes score of 85%. That's pretty high, and considering that it stands alongside of, like, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, like, all that stuff, it really does a good job. Like, it, it stands its ground, and it's more of a prototypical monster movie than a follow-on. It doesn't really fall necessarily into the b-movie craze that kind of gripped the 50s and early 60s it stands as a classic even though it more so reflects those types of movies it's like really scientific it's pretty low budget but i mean it stacks up like it's a really good production right This not if you if you're a fan of mystery science 3d or 3000 this is not the kind of movie that they would be doing but they would be doing like a parody of like there are a bunch of like movies that parodied this movie or copycatted this movie that would be the kind of thing that would um end up on Science to year 3000 or Rift Track. This was as good as it gets at the time. So while it seems cheesy now, this was cutting edge. Oh, I completely agree. I think that the underwater shots in particular were really like captivating for audiences at the time. That was not something we saw a lot of back then. I mean, nowadays, like we do a lot of CGI, but even a lot of CGI still takes place like in the water. Like there's only so much that you can do to replicate like human hair in the water and the way that bodies move in the water. So a lot of times what they'll do is they'll put like a green screen or a blue screen in a tank, and they'll record in the tank and just build the set on the blue screen or the green screen. Right. But this was filmed in the water, though. Yeah, they built a set underwater and swam in it. Correct. And this was actually one of the first times that a camera was used to do this. Uh, most of the time that like an underwater camera or a video recorder was used, it was for like a documentary. Because mm-hmm. the, these cameras are like expensive, like really expensive. So you kind of needed a to rant these. Yeah, and I mean, despite the fact that Universal had tons of resources and that definitely helped out like especially in the creation of like the Gilman suit and like all that stuff that really like gives the film the, the spice like the pizzazz that it needs to stand up it, it, it's pretty low budget like they did a really good job with what they had right and i can't say this with 100 certainty but i'm willing to bet that they got the camera for free because they probably also agreed to fully fund some sort of documentary of for whoever owned the camera or whoever was renting the camera out interesting so it's like a trade right that happens a lot in the Film huh The more you know. The more you know. All right, Zach, it- are we ready to get into the synopsis? Let's get into this meat. Let's right. get into this Gillman meat. All right, Frank. Synopsis coming <clears> at <throat> you. Dr. Carl Maya discovers strange fossilized remains in the Amazon that he believes to be the missing link between water and air breathing life. He seeks the help of colleagues David Reed, Kate Lawrence, and Mark Williams, and plans an expedition into the Amazon for research and further evidence of the creature. They charter a riverboat and steam toward its campsite, only to find Dr. Mises is killed at their camp. Their party streams on toward the infamous area known as the Black Lagoon. It is here that they discover what evidence they are looking for, and the creature attacks once provoked. The creature develops a strange affection for Kay and thwarts their attempts to escape. Will the party leave the jungle alive? Stay tuned to find out excellent are you fapping or clapping uh does it matter mm. are, are, aren't they both complimentary i'm gonna have to think on that for a little bit <laughs> okay let's get into this john why don't why don't you lead us down this rabbit hole of science all right sweet so we're gonna take it scene by scene we're gonna break it down for you here i know you've been holding on for a long time this may or may not be the part of the podcast you want to listen to but it's the part of a podcast that you're gonna get so here we go the opening is big and it's bold and it's got music that's like now known as a hallmark of classic universal films like specifically the monsters so we've got like the wolf man has an original score and an original intro that's huge and then like frankenstein also has an opening at least that is original and huge dracula used tchaikovsky like how much more iconic do you need to be than tchaikovsky um i don't know you tell me well it's a lot very famous very big prolific in a sense so moving on from there uh it opens on dr maya as he discovers a fossil it's like a webbed finger kind of skeletonized arm and he takes it and goes to the institute which is in brazil i don't know what institute it is they just call it the institute uh, to get some help his colleagues so that's where dr david reads it. dr david breed he's an ichthyologist so he studies fish and this is where we see the first underwater dive scene and it looks really good it looks really good for the time now back to that um that fossilized hand do you think that that was the first mold for one of those weird geeky dildos i do not ever want to hear that in my good Christian podcast ever <laughs> <laughs> please get out of my Christian podcast with your film yeah <laughs> I just, it's like a, I'm not I'm not even going to gratify that with like a response like, <laughs> we're not going to go there that's not Dad? what we do it is what we do so <laughs> the scientists meet up and um <laughs> actually before <laughs> before that I just had to make a note so he Dr. Maya drives up to the little like barge out in the in the river or wherever they're at uh and, and pops out he starts talking to Kay and to Dr. Reed and like they hop in the boat. The boat driving scene looks so much better than the Wolfman car driving scene. Right, and it doesn't change aspect ratios. And it reminds me of that scene in um, Airplane where they're driving to the airport and there's like all kinds of weird nonsense going on and it's just a rolling background behind the car the whole time. That movie came out in like what, 73? In the 70s sometime? Right. And I know they did it on purpose and it was funny but it's just hilarious that it just like a 10 year gap they figured that much out and even though this is like a lower budget film they managed to make this boat driving scene look really good like the camera's stable like there's no reason why they should have ever used those rolling background nonsense things. I mean it, it was just what they had at the time they're not actually going to send these people out into the Amazon to get eaten by an anaconda or anything. No there's a whole nother movie where that happens. Right. So the scientists meet up to discuss the fossil findings uh, of course the scientists being Dr. David Reed, um, Dr. Mark Williams, Kate Lawrence who eh, believe it or not is actually considered an equal more or less in this film which is something that i found kind of striking out of a film from the early 50s right it's uh she actually while she is a damsel in distress later in the film uh, she is seen as an equal in the workplace which is actually really really cool yeah it's not something that we see an awful lot of back then i mean i haven't watched mad men but i've heard that there's a bunch of stuff there that kind of it's supposed to showcase how this thing doesn't work out for women no it usually did not like they weren't saying like haha yeah good theory sweetheart why don't you go make us some sandwiches why don't you go you know make us some cocktails why don't you uh get down on fours and have my baby and not tell my wife like none of that was happening in this movie and that was awesome it really was like she truly was looked at as an equal and that, that was kind of cool so uh big scientific talk uh ichthyology geology um paleontology a lot of ologies uh, scientology i don't know uh they're studying lungfish so they're trying to find the missing link between land air breathing creatures and water breathing creatures that live in the water I, I don't know where i was going with that but they, 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 one breeds water one breeds air just like uh like the bigfoot it's the like the in between between ape and man yeah just like that except bigfoot is real and the creature from the black lagoon is not you cannot you cannot believe in bigfoot and not the creature from the black lagoon i'm sorry it's the same thing uh, we'll talk about this off the air <laughs> okay so the expedition begins they charter a river boat and they start headed downstream toward the uh, work site that carl maya was working at um z is the captain of the boat that's his name. He has another name as well, but they call him Z pretty much throughout the whole movie. He's kind of like a Popeye the Sailor meets Bluto type character. Like he's really like stereotypical this way. Right. And um, I just want to go ahead and say this before we get to when they're in the lagoon. This entire movie can be summed up in one sentence. Fucking white bull. I- you kinda. I I was honestly surprised at how not insensitive this movie was. No, but what I mean is these white people are hitting all these other people in danger. Like, if these white people did not want to look for this creature, no one would have died. This is purely a white people thing to do. I am going to deliberate that to somebody else. They can figure that out. They can analyze all those parts of the movie. We are a fun podcast. We are, we are not a political i just have to tell myself that every time i get on here and have to refuse the urge to just start rattling off about all this nonsense fucking white people anyway tell me what happens when they get to the lagoon john the creature emerges Ah! yeah okay so basically the creature comes out and he has actually already killed dr maya's assistant so this was not something that they saw coming this was something that was like well you know what that's not true because the creature puts his hand up out of the lagoon and you see it early on right when carl maya leaves the lagoon, or at least leaves the dig site. Right, and if he would've just taken care of them then, this movie would've never happened. You know what? Maybe so. But that's not what happened. This is what happened. They find him dead at the campsite, and they decide to steam on toward the Black Lagoon, that infamous place that Captain Z keeps saying people don't come back from, but he's still just a chuckling and chewing on a cigar, just like he always does, because he's basically Popeye's hair. And yeah, because money's money, man. Yeah, man, you gotta make that, uh, you gotta make that bread somehow. So the riverboat steams toward the Black Lagoon. Uh, they're kinda going through, looking at all the stuff, looking at all the weird things, Things that live on the river, live in and around the river. Um, there's a bunch of weird stuff off in the jungle. Do you think those calls were like real or fake? Do you think they just had some guy off in the distance going Ca-caw! Ca-caw! Ooh! Um, they probably went to the actual rainforest and, like, just put a recorder there and then went off and cut down some trees while they were there to make the set and then came back and got the tape recorder later. I don't know. But they filmed most of this in Florida. Right. I'm saying they probably got, like, real sounds. Like, maybe they went to zoos and, like, recorded the sounds to play on set. That's not outside of the realm of possible <sighs> I, 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 I do not think they brought real Amazonian creatures to set. Oh, no, not at all. I was just saying, like, do, do you think they were real or do you think there was just a soundstage Um, I mean, they were definitely on a soundstage, like the act, but oh. I think, I think that the animals might have been recorded, and they might be real animal sounds. Although, it's I thought a- I heard a wolf in there, and I'm like, I don't think wolves live in the Amazon. Uh, yeah, I got nothing for that one. Uh, okay. So, the research team arrives at the lagoon, and, uh, they immediately go in for a dive. So, basically, what they're doing is they're looking for a fossil that they can match to the rocks around where the original fossil was found, and they can compare the, like, the sediment deposits or something I don't know, big science talk, I don't know. They're going to make sure it's the same kind of rock. Right. So they so, find okay. the rock, and about two and a half minutes into the first dive sequence, we see the creature. We, we actually see its face. Yes. And shit. And it looks good. It, it looks good, but I don't like when it's on land. Like, it, it it looks good underwater, but then, like, when it comes up out of the water and it's still, like, in its mouth like it's underwater like a fish would, I don't fucking like that shit. Yeah, but does that mean that it's a good monster, or does that mean that it's just impossible to look at. I just think it means that I don't like it. Well, I don't care what you don't like. Uh, Okay fair enough. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. So, Kate goes for a swim after they come back. Uh, she doesn't really understand what's going on. I guess they didn't feel like passing that information along. I, maybe they just didn't think it was that important until she goes out there. And that's where we start getting some of these really, really high quality underwater shots. The creature kind of follows Kate around and watches from afar. And it, to me, that kind of suggests a certain degree of intelligence that we don't get from the creature just by looking at it. Right. It it looks like, you know, like a, like a cryptid. Like something that's just there to be there. Like if God's forgotten to stand but these like these scenes are very well choreographed like I mean in order to shoot this underwater they had to have choreographed this very well it's al- it's almost ballet esque and I think that is the most beautiful part of it. It really really is and the fact that in the water the creature doesn't swim like a human it, it, it swims really I want to say alternatively I don't know but there's a clear difference between what Kate is doing and then what like the divers were doing and what the monster is doing like they do a really good job which that's something that we saw a lot in, like Frankenstein where Boris Karloff while playing Frankenstein's monster walks a very specific way and that is like a hallmark of that monster. Right? Right. This is not really remembered that way but it does have the same kind of effect. Also just as a uh to throw this in here uh Riku when he was filming this was not allowed to have a uh an apparatus device. Oh no. So he's actually holding his breath the entire time there and the reason for this was so that you wouldn't see air bubbles coming from the creature because the creature supposedly is supposed to be able to breathe through. It's gills. But then that doesn't explain why it can breathe on land. Yeah, I guess it's supposed to be kind of amphibious and like like the lungfish they were talking about where it can come up and breathe for certain amounts of time, but it's kind of like not at full power outside of the water. Correct. However, I do just want to say that this was uh, still classic Hollywood. Like this was, um, this was the kind of shit they used to do and get away with back then. Yeah, and I mean... You could it... not do this now. The union would be on your ass. Oh, 100%. But it worked. It looks really good. I mean, I guess... He's still around. He, he's perfectly fine. No long term health complications from that. Right, but still this, this time it worked out. For everybody else, it might not have worked out. But for him it worked out. All right. So after Kate comes back to the boat, she manages to get in. The creature gets caught up in one of their nets and he escapes. He cuts his way out, chooses his way out. They pull up the net, there's a huge hole in it. That's a little odd, not gonna lie. So What David an Mar- asshole. Those nets are fucking expensive. Yeah, you better believe they are. So David and Mark go diving again. This time they take a camera with them, they're trying to catch the creature on film. Uh or at least David is. Mark is trying to shoot him. <laughs> (laughs) One's trying to shoot him. One's trying to shoot him. Well done. Camera jokes or sperm jokes. Whatever floats your boat. How are you doing this morning? I, I yeah, okay. The creature <laughs> returns and attacks a deckhand after the fact. They come back up. They're not able to get the creature on film. Uh, it comes back up, attacks a deckhand, and Z doesn't seem too concerned about the fact that the creature just killed a guy. Right, because probably to Z, it's like, all right, that guy's share was $200. Guess what, guys? I'm $200 richer. That's a little dark, but I'm not going to put it past him. Hey, man, like, you got to look at the bright. Well, the bright side is that Z then suggests that they use drugs to stun the creature. They are going to roofie the creature. Um, I think it's a little more than roofie. I think that in particular is what they use to uh, clean out ponds when they want to get all the fish out. Because believe it or not, it's really hard to get a bunch of fish out of a lake. Clean it. You kind of got to kill them all. Who's trying to clean a lake? I don't know, but this is basically like powder red tie. Uh, Yeah, yeah, all right. So (laughs) (laughs) the creature comes aboard again that night and uh, scared away by the light. So it's a little bit like Frankenstein this way where it's elusive and it's scared of the light or it's at least scared of fire, I guess. Uh, Mark and David give chase they dive into the water and they go after it this is where the creature's lair makes an appearance and it's a lair yeah yeah it's a cave with a bunch of water in it and uh i couldn't think of a better place for an aquatic creature to live right and like i i just want to see what else is there like does it have a bed does it sleep outside of water does it sleep underwater can it choose good question that's a really good question right because what would be the point of having a lair if like it doesn't even sleep or do really do anything outside of being underwater because up until this point all we see it come out of water for is to attack things so maybe it gets its food from above land but it doesn't eat the like underwater life because that would kind of be like cannibalism. But if he's eating humans, that's also cannibalism. I don't See, know. It's late here in Pennsylvania. Important questions that need to be asked. I think if humans can go into the water to get fish, then the creature can come up to get food. That doesn't seem so weird. Who knows? Not important to the plot, but a good question. So at some point, the creature gets captured. They manage to get him and they put him in like a cage below deck. They kind of submerge him. I, I guess they think he's like a carnival goldfish and they can just put him in some water and it'll be fine. <laughs> And they would shake her around a little bit like Darla from Finding Nemo. Uh, Why yes. are you sleeping? <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> the creature escapes capture. It comes up on deck and it finds Kate. Uh, it hurts Dr. Thompson in the struggle to get away and they are standing guard. Everyone's got like a gun, which I understand. It's like a riverboat in the Amazon. There's a lot of dangerous stuff out there that can actually get you. One thing that I did notice about this movie is that no one is very conscious about where their weapons are pointed. And I counted at least four or five times where people are just pointing rifles at each other, pointing spear guns at each other, shooting at other people by mistake. Right, there's been a lot more friendly fire going on in the end. There's not. No, like, it's it's honestly kind of insane. I Like, I know it's props and I know it doesn't really make a difference, but, like, if they're gonna go so far in this time period to not let married couples sleep in the same bed because they're worried about what that's gonna do to the minds of people, why would they just broadcast, like, unsafe handling of dangerous equipment? Um, I don't know. Probably because Z is fine with getting all the money money from this expedition but Z is not the only one doing it everyone does this oh but Z is gonna get out of there before anyone else see Z is the most interesting character in film I would want to know more but we have to move on (laughs) let's move on all right so the next day the research team agrees to leave they're finally convinced that look this and we're gonna go before we die because it's not working out for us clearly we know it exists we may not be able to prove it just yet but if we don't get out of here, we're not going to be able to tell anybody about it. They we're running they... out of Amazonians. And if we don't go, they're going to start killing the white people. We got to go. Damn. <laughs> hard, hard takes from uh, Zach over here. It's the fucking truth. So they find that the exit of the lagoon has been dammed up. This is clearly the work of the creature and the creature starts attacking the boat and the equipment. And like, they just need to get out and they're trying to find ways of doing this. Mark insists on killing the creature so they can take the body back with them. David doesn't want to do that. He just wants to get out so they can come back later and figure it out. They fight. They actually, actually Getting a fist fight below deck, and then they, which is weirdly homoerotic. Hot takes, he, Zach- he, he, he grabs him from behind and like thrusts at him to like get him down I was like, and not to mention, like, they're both in like those like speedo swimming trunks. It's it's very homoerotic. All right, hot takes from Zach. <laughs> <laughs> it's all I got. Uh, they try to remove the blockage, so uh, David goes in and tries to hook the winch up to it. Doesn't really work out. Mark's trying to like cover his back and everything. They fight with the creature underwater. This scene looks looks so good it looks really really good once again choreography in this fucking a downside mark does not survive oh poor mark yeah, the he's first kind of... white casualty of this film yeah he's kind of been a dick the whole time too yeah fuck him so they load the drugs into an air bottle and david goes down and starts like spraying the creature when it comes up to mess with him that kind of works they get everything hooked up and they start pulling it out this is where things get Real interesting. So, the creature comes back on deck, takes Kay away into his lair. Gone, right? No. Gone. They go after her. They go down to and the lair. I, I just want to say, because when this happened, I was like, wait, aren't there only like three minutes left in the movie? Indeed, this twist happens with three minutes left in the movie. It's insane. Yeah, the close-up time on movies like this is kind of extreme. Like, it really doesn't take that long for them to reach climax and finish. Right. It, it is very it very quick yeah so the creature takes kate back to the lair david goes right in after him he goes in there he's looking around can't find her finally finds her the creature emerges and then they fuck i'm just no kidding. <laughs> no that's not what happened the creature and david start fighting a little bit and this is where Z and dr maya come in and they shoot the creature but the creature is in between david and them so they're just kind of shooting bullets through the creature and they're somehow not hitting david well i mean y- did you see the thick ass gill armor on this shit oh thick ass creature <laughs> <laughs> i mean he- he's a- he's a fit thick ass boy gill man is the thick gill man the the fit the thick gill man so I mean, it obviously doesn't kill him either. So true, he escapes, and you don't really know what happened to him. But he's clearly defeated, even if he's not dead, and it managed to make their escape. I assume because that's where the movie drops off. Again, like these other monster movies, it's not something that gets expounded upon greatly. There's not like a like an epilogue type thing that kind of shows you what happens afterwards. You know, like eh, again to reference like Avengers Endgame, like there's the whole scene with Captain America goes back in time and he like lives his whole life, and then it comes back and he's like, no, I don't think I will, and then they go from there there's not a lot of closure here like it just kind of happens and that's right it. because they wanted to leave it ambiguous for a sequel yes absolutely and they did two sequels and an abbott and costello cameo so to bring this back to what we were talking about before so is the creature getting kate is that like what we were talking about earlier with sailors and mermaids except maybe the mermaid for a uh, a gill man is a woman that has no fish parts interesting and maybe mayhaps maybe so uh, that's actually something that i wondered myself that we don't really think about that too much when we look at stuff like this like i mean dracula like he's undead but he wants living people and i mean he looks like a person and he acts kind of like a person so like it's kind of understandable and then like frankenstein i mean in the movie like frankenstein he the, the monster doesn't really want that necessarily at first he just wants a friend but i mean later on the whole bride of frankenstein thing like yeah it, it happens like i mean he clearly has desires right. like whatever but he wants a companion that's equal to him he doesn't want something different this is not right. like that the, the creature wants cake for whatever reason maybe he's under the impression that he can further his i don't know biological adaptations i i, I don't know maybe his offspring will be more land-based yeah be, instead of being halfway in between maybe 75 percent of the way a lot of the classic monsters have a certain depth of the character that involves sympathy so like dracula maybe not so much but we see him and he's just trying to survive uh we see frankenstein he, he just wants to be loved he just wants understanding he wants to find his place in the world the wolfman is afflicted he gets this thing that happens to him and it changes his life completely he can't control it we feel sympathy for the gill man or at least i do just because he's trying to live his life and he's like predated upon almost he's just trying to like he didn't ask for these people to come he's as a matter of fact he doesn't ask for anyone to come there that's why he keeps killing people (laughs) but and that's why i kind of don't have i guess i don't have sympathy for the gill man i think the gill man truly is a monster kind of like dracula that's what i found interesting about this movie was i think they kind of tried to tie in the mythos of dracula and mix it with the mythos of frankenstein and the wolfman so it's almost kind of like a culmination of like all three like it's kind of like the wolfman where he's afflicted like he can't help that he is this creature he was born this creature he'll never not be this creature as a matter of fact he doesn't know anything different than being this creature he has the sympathy of frankenstein because he does have a human side to him he wants to be more but he's also a dracula character because he doesn't give a fuck like it's seems like and that's the only problem i have with having sympathy for the character is they don't ever show him having sympathy for anything other than you know titties that's one way of looking at it i thought Kate was really nice independent of that fact right i i thought Kate was a very very good character and a surprisingly progressive character for the time period that's true that's 100 true so other than being a damsel in distress and other than you know but it seems like she's there on her own merits not just because her boyfriend friend is like this you know crack shot scientist or whatever that's true that's 100 true my question out of all this is why do we not see the set of monsters today like why is it that like uh i don't know sharknado isn't a sympathetic type character <laughs> is the sharknado the character like how does that work um I believe the Sharknado is the event, and I think it only gets weirder from there. Um, okay. The, the difference between like these monsters from like the universal classic monsters and newer monsters is that we're scared of different things now. Back then you could scare people by putting on a mask or you know, doing something like bodily harm or like mental harm to a person, but it's all very human. It's all very, you know, inside, it's very like an emotional thing. Monsters today day are typically spiritual or unexplainable. Like mm-hmm. the, like the paranormal activities or um, I know I keep referencing Us or uh, Get Out by Joining People. Those are like, I think those are two of the best horror movies that have come out in the last 10 years. It's the monster is something that can't be explained. It's a, it's like just fear is the monster. The monster in a physical form can be dealt but if it's just like in your head you can't just fight. And that's what's so scary. And it's it also has to do with time- Like, everything is scary, like, you know, war, famine, anything, like, we are, we are mere seconds away from any of that at any given time, and we all know it, and that's scary, and people ignore the shit out of that every day, just to, like, live and be happy for five seconds, we ignore the shit out so what's scary? Something that cannot be explained, something that's not inevitable. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and I think that that kind of demonstrates an evolution that we see going into the 50s and into the 60s, is that the atomic age brought in new things to Horror. so we saw in the 30s you know this Dracula Lee Frankenstein uh what was it freaks freak show freaks was that it yeah for, uh freaks yeah movies like that where it's a very physical thing that's supposed to scare you there were some psychological thrillers as well uh cat people i guess being one of them where there's no actual cat people but like it sets it up to imply that there might be something really scary out there those are the kinds of things that set us up for what we see today but going into like the 50s and 60s we see the creatures we see like the the, the fallout from what we've done to our environment we've done to the things around us like how we're going to destroy ourselves ultimately but the thing that actually kills us is going to be a big scary thing right and i I guess that's almost biblical in a way it is it's man playing god right and that's always what's going to kill us is us being us taking advantage of things like and that's that's another thing i see in a lot of movies as well is when you take advantage of something there is a consequence like because you're taking this from this person or this thing something or someone's going to take something from you whether that be life uh your wife you know your hot dog whatever man like it's they're gonna take it from the gill man's gonna take my hot dog the gill man's gonna take your hot dog and you know what if i bought a hot dog at the concession stand and i was wearing 3d glasses i think he would be coming for my hot dog right if he's just got his hand out and he's going to touch the those titties, but really, it's a hot dog. Ooh, he pulled a flipperoo on you. He pulled a flipperoo on you. You thought he was gonna, you know, molest this poor lady. Instead, he's just trying to steal your hot dog. Like, like, a, like an actual hot dog or like a meta, like a metaphorical hot dog? Um, you know what? It could go either way. All right, and on that note, uh, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this episode up. Uh, anything uh-huh. else you want to add, Zach? Um, uh, I also just wanted to add, um, if you watch this movie and watch The Shape of Water before it, you may be realizing that there is a lot of similarity between these two movies, and that is because Guillermo del Toro wanted to remake Creature of the Black Lagoon from the Creature standpoint, and Universal said, fuck you. And so years later, he went on to make The Shape of Water and make everybody feel really fucking weird. You know what? I kind of want to see that now because my wife got me to sit down and watch Pan's Labyrinth recently, and I was very impressed with that movie. Pan's Labyrinth is a great movie. I'm surprised you hadn't seen it. Um, I'm kind of mad you didn't tell me you hadn't, because I would have 100% made you watch *Podcast*. Well, see, for me, I couldn't... figure out how it was supposed to work with like the movie being in Spanish and the title being Pan's Labyrinth and I thought she just got lost in a fucking bakery or something and that didn't seem very exciting <laughs> but it's it's a fantastic it, it, it really is it's it's about if you haven't seen pants labyrinth listener i'm talking to you watch watch it with the subtitles i don't think there's a dub i really don't think there's a dub if there is don't watch that shit yeah really don't it, it has a lot of effect being in Spanish correct it's it's very it, you feel it, it feels a certain way yeah pants course. labyrinth really good movie anyway uh we're way off base um, always 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 off base so anyway uh remember to go check us out on facebook for meme cocktail recipes and updates on the show uh follow us on twitter at inflammation for you and uh it's always tell your friends about us we're cool guys right yeah right you like us what 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 you think you're better than me you think what, you're what, better you... than us yeah what, what do you think we're not worthy of knowing your friends you you think you you think that we wouldn't share our pizza with you oh the pizza! i forgot about the pizza. it's in the oven mama's cooking it. it's got zucchini bread and pizza. you ain't gonna come over and eat with us you're not gonna dine with us you think you're better than my family you think you're better than the Familiar. anyway um i hope you guys have truly enjoyed this uh meet the monsters uh this monster mash if you will that we've done this month we've had a lot of fun researching and creating this for you and uh going forward we want to know what you want to hear next so sound off in the comments uh send us an email at informationpodcast at gmail.com. yes and uh i think that's gonna be it uh for your information i'm zach and i'm john